Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1303. Today on Cars Yeah, I'm celebrating the Cincinnati Concours d'Elegance, an annual event that takes place on June 9th in Alt Park, Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more, go to ohioconcours.com. Don't expect more than you're willing to give. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from Cincinnati, Ohio, Carl Eisenman. Hey, Carl, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go when you are. All right. Carl Eisman is a board member and Concord chairman for the Cincinnati Concord Elegance, an annual event that takes place on June 9th in Alt Park, Cincinnati, Ohio, and has been an ongoing event since 1978. While his career included being a hospital CEO and owner of several marketing research companies, Carl's passion for cars and Porsches in particular included being the president of the, and you'll have to help me with this, the Driestatten Gruppe. Am I saying that right, Carl? Dreistatten Gruppe. Dreistatten Gruppe. My, my, my German is failing me today. Uh, and of course, that's a Porsche 356 and early 911 club and a member of the Porsche Club of America and the 356 registry, two clubs of which I'm a member of. His garage has included 12 Porsches, a Triumph TR4, MGB GT, several BMWs, and a 1948 Chevrolet Woody. Very cool. So Carl, I've told our listeners, just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career, the Concorde, and of course, a very obvious passion for old automobiles? I talk about my career um, when I think about all the hassles I went through as a, as a young hospital administrator. I started very, very young in the field. In fact, ran a teaching hospital when I was age 34. And one of the things that, that really impressed me about uh, working in hospitals and working with people who are very highly educated is ways of getting through to people that are meaningful and helpful. Because of that, most of my work was in physician relations and bringing new technology to physicians. And then all of a sudden, I find myself lusting after 40 and 50-year-old cars. And, you know, you say to yourself, how does that work? You know, with uh, all the technology that you work with on a daily basis, you come home and you drive a car that, that doesn't even have fuel injection. Well, you know, that's because I was so tired of working on 12-hour days and dealing with all the issues that surround healthcare that I decided that my work outside of healthcare was going to be on the thing that I love the most. And I've been buying uh, old sports cars since I was 16 years old and working on them with my dad, uh, who was a bit of a tinkerer for many years. So uh, just love the old cars and, and really very proud of what um, my administration did uh, at University Hospital here in Cincinnati. And just to, to plug it, University Hospital is a trauma center that caters basically to the indigent population. And many, many years ago, we decided that we could expand our scope by opening up one of the very first aeromedical programs, a helicopter-based medical program, where we could send teams of doctors and nurses out to critically ill patients who might have crashed on a highway many miles away or were too sick to be transported and were in a small community hospital. That became uh, really, the, I think, the ultimate uh, accomplishment of my administration and uh, one that continues today, 30 years later, 
as one of the most active and most uh, well-respected aeromedical programs in the country. So I was able to do that while still playing around with Porsches. Well, you're a fortunate guy for sure. And congratulations on building a center that helps so many people. That has to be massively rewarding. But I can't imagine running a hospital and managing a team of very, very intelligent people, physicians, uh, and all the different intricacies involved there. So I would think it makes running a Concours a piece of cake. But I say that tongue-in-cheek because Concours events are very, very challenging as well. And we're going to learn about that. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Carl, take the wheel. Well, you know, I thought about that quite a bit. And there's one thing that I always say to people when I, when I first meet them, when I, I work with them, and that is, don't expect more than you're willing to give. Concourse require a lot of people. In fact, we have close to 500 volunteers that support the Concourse throughout the year and the three-day Concourse. Wow. You know, we always look for people not only who have the dedication to cars, but a dedication to uh, making sure that people enjoy the whole gestalt, if you will, of of the old car hobby and uh, what we do for for juvenile arthritis. Because our our main thrust, other than putting on a great uh, series of shows, is to generate enough money to support uh, kids with juvenile arthritis here in the greater Cincinnati area. Why I'm so proud of that is because, you know, you're probably like me. Every day you get hundreds of uh, requests for for donations to major national uh, charities. You know, I always wonder, where does all this money go? And a couple of months later, you get back this big, glossy, you know, annual report. And that bothers me that the money is being spent on that rather than on on the kids. Our focus is this is for the 10 or 20 or 30,000 kids in our tri-state area who have juvenile arthritis. Our main focus is making sure that they and their families get the kind of support and treatment and expertise that... uh, can only be found in the local community. So uh, yeah, we do a really yeah. good job of that. I'm very proud of it. Well, you should be. You know, there's a couple of great things about this. One thing is I've talked to people who aren't, let's say, car people. They're not enthusiasts, quote unquote. And they talk about, well, all these fancy people going to these car shows, it just seems like a bunch of show-offs. And I always say, well, wait a minute. Most of the major Concord events, if not all, have very worthy causes they raise money for. When you look at an event like yours or Pebble Beach or Concorso Italiano or even some of the other shows that are around Melia Island, I mean, it goes on and on. They all raise tremendous amounts of money, in some cases millions of dollars that they give to charities. Most of them are affecting children, children's hospitals or causes like you have. So I always remind people of that. And I love your quote because you're right. Don't expect more then you're willing to give. That works in so many capacities. It works in relationships. It works in your business. It works in your life. Be willing to give more than you expect back. And you know what? You'll get an awful lot back. So I love that. Very, very nicely done. And congratulations on the bunnies that you're uh, raising. Let's uh, talk about a story that instigated that personal passion you have for cars. Tell us about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were indeed a car guy. Well, you know, it's funny. My dad always used to say to me, he couldn't figure out why I was so hung up on cars when I was young. But my dad, uh, when he came back from uh, World War II, started working with a company that was first uh, one of the first to do extruded um, plastics for both cars and bicycles. And so our house was always covered with catalogs and, and magazines and stuff like that. And of course, you know, the catalogs back then had scantily dressed women 
uh, showing off <laughs> the latest gear and the, the latest bearing and that type of stuff. But, yeah. you know, my dad, my dad was a tinkerer. And the funny story about my dad was he always fixed everything, but there were always leftover parts. And I could never figure out. So if my dad was working on a <laughs> clock, the clock would run, the alarm would work, but there'd be a pile of little extra parts. And so when yeah. I started, uh, when I was 15 and a half, my dad said to me, it's about time you had a car because we lived outside of the range of the bus route uh, to go to school. And my parents always left left the house very early to go to work. So my dad said to me, you know, if if you find the car you like, you buy the car and I'll pay for the insurance. I said, Dad, why don't we flip that? Because I think the car could be worse. <laughs> he said, no, you, yeah. your objective is to get a car that's $1,000 or less. Yeah. My dad and I probably spent six months driving all over the New York metropolitan area to all these old or older uh, classic car, classic sports car shops. And we found this gorgeous British racing green TR4 with oversized wire wheels and these big fog lights uh, hanging off the front grill. And I said to my dad, I'm in love. And it was uh, that car was just spectacular. And of course, it was the first car I ever owned. And of course, no one knew this, but I was driving it without a license every morning to go to school. So at that point, I said to myself, this is really going to be fun because this is just the start of what I want to do. But the car was fantastic. Uh, I used to stick a 10-foot surfboard in that to go surfing at the at the local beach when uh, when school was over and it was during the summer. So, uh, Oh, my gosh. Far, <laughs> and, and to finalize that, I met this young woman. Her name was Diane, who I ultimately became my wife. But she hung around me because she thought I had such a cool car. There you go. And, uh, I said to her, well, uh, come surfing with me. And uh, if you stand up on the surfboard uh, the first for the first time, there'll be a second date. Forty-three years later, I'm still stuck with the same old old wife who I love and adore, who doesn't surf anymore, but she loves me and my cars. So uh, That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, you might not want to call her your old wife, but yeah. uh, we won't, we'll just edit that part of the show. But I love this story for a variety of reasons because I grew up in Southern California. I was a surfer. There was a neighbor on our street that had a Triumph TR4, and I wanted that car so bad. But it was always broken down. And when I got my first, well, actually my second car, my first car, I don't talk much about because it was kind of an old grandma's car. But my second car, a Carmen Ghia, my dad said, well, do you want a car you'll be working on all the time? Or do you want a car that will actually run most of the time? Yeah. And he talked me into the Carmen Ghia, but I always loved that TR4. I still think about those cars. I just love the looks of them. And I can't imagine sticking a surfboard in a, t a 10 foot surfboard, especially because when I was surfing, the boards had kind of gone short. But uh, I understand completely. So uh, there you go. Wonderful story. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. I would love for you to share this for a variety of reasons, but mainly to share the experience so that we can learn what you learned, how you came out of it on a positive end. So take it away. All right. Well, you know, I, I already mentioned University Hospital, and that that really is where I, I grew up and, and, and learned about not only business, but, but life as well. Um, as I think I mentioned, uh, University Hospital, that back then it was called uh, the Cincinnati General Hospital, but it was, in essence, the poor people's hospital, the indigent care hospital, the hospital nobody wanted to go to unless they were stabbed or shot. And uh, we came, I came there uh, at the request of my mentor, who I'd met when I was a student in, in Boston. And uh, he said to me, you know, this is the crummiest hospital I've ever worked at. But my objective is to make this the Harvard of the Midwest. 
And when he said that to me, and I had gone to school in Boston, not at Harvard, but Boston University, I thought, boy, this sounds like a lot of fun. And um, after about a year and a half, a year and a half of him cajoling me, I finally signed on and moved from New York City to Cincinnati. And it was a it was a rough conversion. Uh, nobody really wanted to do what uh, this guy Dito and I wanted to do, and it took many many years to convince the community that they needed a teaching hospital, not just a, an indigent care hospital. Well, year after year, we kept working, and we we were of the 34 hospitals in our region, we were ranked number 32. And my boss, Vito, said to me, one day we're going to be in the top five. And so we did everything that we possibly could to do that. And that much of that meant pleading, cajoling, explaining to people why it was so important to have a teaching hospital and getting the faculty on board with that. And slowly but surely, the faculty became on board. They got behind us on so many things. But Vito, my boss, was a real change agent, and he was a pretty gruff character. And he was slowly becoming persona non grata at the medical center level. And um, mm-hmm. one day, um, I get this letter from the director of the medical center saying, Vito is out, you're in. And I said, what do you mean, I'm in? I mean, said, the, the, the faculty has circulated an email, uh, not an email, a, uh, uh, a uh, what do you call a it? Memo a memo or something? Petition, a petition. That oh, they okay. would accept they would accept no one else to run the hospital but you. Wow! Of course, that, made, that made my heart flicker, and then I thought, "Oh my God, I'm 34 what? years old. This is a hundred million dollar business. How do I do it?" Right. And I went back. I went back to my roots and said, "You know, my expertise has always been dealing with people and making people feel like they were valued and important." And I went back and talked to all the department chairmen. Said, "Do you really want me to do this? If you really want me to do this." It's got to be, we got to do this, not I've got to do this. Yeah, and, well, there you uh, go. After a four-year period and a lot of hard work and the inclusion of our aeromedical program, I left there feeling really good as we, rate, we were rated number two of the 34 hospitals in the in the greater Cincinnati area. So, Oh, uh, my gosh. Wow. Well, congratulations. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to imagine a 34-year-old. Now, obviously, you've been there for a while, but uh, being handed the reins of something like that and taking it on, and especially... A hospital that is dealing with um, indigenous people and and tough times and hard and I mean I can't even imagine but you've got to feel very rewarded as I know you're retired now uh, but the fact that you got you guys up to number two at a thirty something I mean that's just absolutely incredible. Let me ask you this because there's a lot of people listening out there that are business related. This is very much a car show but also entrepreneurship business related. If there's one thing, and I know there's a multitude of things you did, but if there's one thing you can identify that was very, very good for your career and helping you achieve your goals, what was it? I think it was being me, being open, being accessible. Uh, You know, they used to say I never slept because they'd always find me in the hospital. And if I wasn't in the hospital, I was at home working on hospital issues. But I I think the thing that that I, I take the most pride in is that I just have a way with people. And it's funny because my wife always says it's mostly the women. But, um, <laughs> you know, yesterday was my, my 69th birthday. And um, I got a bunch well, of... Facebook. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. I got a bunch of Facebook email, uh, emails, mostly from women friends that, that Diane and I know. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's really just coming down to the basic level is we're all in this together. Uh, yeah. Life is tough. And if we don't need any more people making life tougher than it is, and if we work together as we did, we went from a hospital where the doctors wouldn't talk to the support staff to where the doctors and the support staff 
put on a big carnival every year and we put the cheap of surgery on one of these galleys that uh, you throw a ball at and drops them in the water. <laughs> yeah, the dunk tank. The dunk tank. And that was just one of the elements that people said, you know, we're, we're starting to feel like human beings now. We're all understand what the focus of our, of our endeavor should be. And we've got to work together. And uh, I take a great pride and amount of pride in not what I did so much, but what they did. What they did as a group, that was the most important thing for me. Well said, and congratulations. It's a team, most definitely. It's that way in everything in life, for sure. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. Now, I know you have an old Porsche 356 you've had for 40 years. Maybe that's the car you want to talk about, but is there a special car that you want to share some special memories about? Well, actually, it it is that my 60 Cabriolet. When I was uh, a student in Boston, and I didn't have a car back then, I was hitchhiking from uh, Cambridge back into Boston where I lived, and I get picked up by this old, ratty, rusted-out Porsche. And for some reason, it just hit me in the right place. And after this guy drove me back to my house and we talked about Porsches, I said to him, one of these days, I'm going to own one. Well, six months later, I'm out seeing a friend of mine out in the suburbs, and um, there's this 356 coupe. And I said, "Uh, so who owns it? He said, you know, I don't know. It's been sitting here for months. No one seems to know who who uh, owns it. So I said, well, you know something. The next time I come back, if it's still here, I'm going to go to the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles and see if I can get the car as an abandoned car. So it turned out it didn't get back there for six months. The car was gone. Well, fast forward to to about six years. We're moving from New York City into uh, Cincinnati. And I sent pictures of 356s to all my friends from graduate school saying, if you ever see one a car like this, let me know. Well, a couple of weeks goes by, and my friend Bob calls me at 2 o'clock in the morning, stumbling out of a bar in Dayton, Ohio. And he says, you're not going <laughs> to believe this. I found your car. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was relieving myself against the big snowbank, and I looked down, and there's this taillight that looked like the taillight of the picture you sent me. So I jump in the car, run up to, to Dayton. And sure enough, in, in eight feet of snow, uh, snow pile, there was this beautiful but rusted out 356 Cabriolet with a removable, removable hard, hard top on it. I said, this is the car. Something tells me this is the car. So I went <laughs> home, tried to contact the owner. It took me six months to contact the owner. Finally made a deal on it. And, you know, just as frame of reference, we haggled and haggled on price. And I finally got the car in what supposedly was running condition for $800. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah. I, le- I left the car up at this shop and I said, look, I, I just want to get the car home, make sure it's in running order and it's safe enough for me to drive it home. Cause it was a 35 mile drive down to my home. I yeah. said, no problem. I wait two weeks. We go up to pick up the car. My wife is following me. We're driving down interstate 71 in the left lane doing about 75 miles an hour. And all of a sudden the car dies. Uh-oh. I pull over into the left lane, pop the, pop the rear hood, can't find anything wrong. Try to start the car, wouldn't. Diane pulls up behind me. Now, she's wearing her high heels. She had just come home from work. She <laughs> said, don't worry, I'll push start. Oh, gosh. So I jump into the car. She starts pushing the car. And it was a little bit downhill. And I'm watching her flailing away in her in her high in heels. Her high heels. <laughs> and what happened was the battery slid against one of the uh, the ground strap, and the car started again. She jumps back into her car. We drive the car home, and I said, thank God I got it. And she says to me, you owe me a new pair of shoes. I said, what do you yeah, I'll bet. Said, my heels broke off as I was running. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> That's the car that we've had for 
That was 1978. So we've had it for 41 years. And wow. parenthetically, about three years ago, there was a flood here in our neighborhood. And I ended up having four feet of muddy water in my garage, oh. which covered by 356. Oh, no. And uh, that picture I sent you, though, is that that 356, 18 months later, back to its nor its formal glory as yeah. a show-winning car. Oh, my gosh. What a wild story. Well, I'm glad it's still with you. Do you have a seller's remorse story, a car you've let go? I know you've sold some cars over the years that you really wish you had back parked next to that Porsche. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a car we called Woody. It was a 1948 Chevy Woody wagon. As I said earlier, you know, uh, our first date, my wife and I, or my, uh, my wife and I went surfing. And Diane said, you know, I've always wanted a Woody wagon. Well, I, I forgot about it completely. 30 some odd years later, we're on Martha's Vineyard uh, on vacation with another couple. And we rented this house and uh, felt really comfortable in the house. And I said to the real estate agent, is this house for sale? She said, yes. And so, you know, one of these spur of the moment things, the other couple and, and Diane and I said, why don't we buy this house? Well, we drove around the neighborhood for a while. And we saw a Woody wagon sitting under a tarp. And Diane said, we're getting this house because there's a Woody there. I want the Woody and the house. So uh, we spent seven years restoring that car, and it was a mess. We didn't. We only replaced about 5% of the wood on it, and it's mahogany and ash. So it was beautiful wood, but you know, it needed a lot of work. And uh, we drove that car as our uh, daily driver every summer when we were in Martha's Vineyard. After 15 years, we decided we no longer were going to go to Martha's Vineyard, and we brought the Woody back home to us in Cincinnati, and then we never drove it. And I was talking to a friend who also owns a house in Martha's Vineyard, and he said, so what did you ever do with that Woody? I said, it's sitting in the, in the storage locker, and I feel really bad because I never drive it. It's 17 feet long, 5,200 pounds. It's a behemoth to drive in city traffic. He said, what do you want for it? I told him the number. He said, fine, I'll buy it. And so now that friend of mine is building a garage on, on Martha's Vineyard specifically to, uh, to house the Woody. But one of the funny stories about that car was Diane wanted a van vanity uh, license plate for it. And she kept working with the Department of Motor Vehicles, and they didn't like any of their, her names. And she finally came up with one, and I wonder if you'll recognize it. It spells S-T-I-F-O-N-E. And when they asked her about it, she said, oh, that's a family name. What do you think it is? <laughs> I don't know. This is a family show. We'll, we'll let the uh, listeners figure that one out. I'm sure there's a few grants out there. You know, I have a good friend. We lost him a few years ago, Bruce Levin. He's a avid car collector up here in the Pacific Northwest. He ran a racing team, Porsche racing team, Bayside Racing. I know for the years. name. Yeah. yeah. He had a beautiful Mercury Woody wagon that was actually a, a car I got to hang out with one day photographing. And his license plate was, and this tells you a bit about Bruce's, his humor, termites. <laughs> so so that, that tells you a little bit about that guy. A great guy. Well, let's talk about the Cincinnati Concord Elegance. I would love for you to share with our listeners. It's coming up here pretty soon in June. June 9th, I believe, is the right date. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners uh, more about this event, what they can expect to see when they attend. Well, this is our uh, 42nd year. We're the second, we believe, we're the second oldest Concord in the country after Pebble Beach. And what is so great about this Concord, and it's really a Concord weekend because Friday night we have a, a formal dinner with a guest speaker and, uh, you know, great food in a great location out in, uh, in downtown Cincinnati. 
Then on Saturday, uh, we have a countryside tour, and we usually get uh, between 50 and 70 cars to tour around the city. Then Saturday night, we have a big hangar party where we get close to 700 people and a bunch of, and it's an impromptu car show. And wow. then uh, Sunday is the big Concorde d'Elegance. This year, the theme is uh, mid-century modern, so we're focusing on cars between 1948 and 1965. And as I said in my introduction to the uh, Concorde program this year, this is the year of the baby boomer. Because when you think mm. about it, this 48 to, to 75 was the time when you saw, you know, those big Cadillacs, the 59s and 61 Cadillacs, the uh, Chrysler uh, C and G code uh, cars, uh, right. the Studebakers, uh, the Avantis. And, you know, as I said in my my remarks in the program, you know, this is a, this is a Concorde for the baby boomers. Now, in addition, you know, we have a total of over 20 different classes. This year, we're also uh, honoring uh, MG from the very beginning to the very end. So we'll have a lot of, you know, MG, TAs, PBs, uh, Cs, TDs, anything you can imagine. So yeah. a great, great showing on what I consider to be one of the greatest show fields you'll ever find. So many of these concours are either in a... Uh, uh, a parking lot or on a fairway. Even Pebble Beach is just a long fairway with one notable tree. Well, ours is in the middle of a beautiful, uh, well-manicured park with flowers and bushes, and it's very wide open. It's not like it's, you know, you go to Pebble and you can barely get between the cars. There's plenty of room for the cars. We have um, one of our, one of the things that we do that probably no one, no one else do, does is we have a junior board of millennials, and they help us plan on things that would, attract the younger crowd. So a couple of mm. years ago, we started a craft beer garden. Uh, this year, one of our innovations to start the, addressing the issue of um, what's going to happen to the next uh, you know, generation of uh, car hobbyists when that $800 Porsche is now an $80,000 Porsche. So we have right. something called the Legacy Library, and we're giving away to kids 6 to 16 books, magazines, posters, auction catalogs, Anything that we think will interest these young kids in, you know, the old car hobby. And uh, we're getting a lot of really good feedback about that. So awesome. with the concourse coming up in just a couple of weeks, we're actively scavenging for more books and more magazines. And I think it's going to be a great, great show this year, as it always is. No doubt. I'll encourage our listeners, if you are going to be in the area or you want to go to the area, you can find it at com. Is that right? That's it. And there'll be 200 of the finest cars. You'll obviously on the show field. There you go. Very nice. Well, check it out. The Cincinnati Concord d'Elegance, a fantastic, very unique event. Carl, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. Hey, fellow automotive enthusiasts. You know I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products since 1975. That's right, all the way back to my high school days. Want to keep your vehicle's exterior and interior looking new? It's easy with a Covercraft car cover. A car cover is the best way to keep your vehicle looking great for years to come. Car covers protect your paint from fallout, birds, dust, rain, insects, and pollen. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. I use my Covercraft car covers every single day. Right now, you can get 10% off all Covercraft custom car covers or their ready-fit car covers. Plus, they offer you over 15 quality fabrics to choose from. Their spring sale is from April 15th through June 16th, 2019. Order direct at Covercraft.com 
and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, Carl, we are back, and I have a very introspective question for you, sir. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a car parked on the Concord lawn or in your garage, you're actually manifested as a car, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself, what would Carl be and why? Well, you know, I thought about that when I got your list, and I thought my favorite car of all time, and, and I guess the one that appeals to me the most for reasons I'll get into, is a Porsche 904 GTS. Nice. Uh, the first fiberglass, fiberglass car that Porsche ever made with a combination. Of, uh, the things that I like the most are form over function. And yeah. this is a car that has always interested to me because it's form over function and function over form. That is the most beautiful body I think that Porsche ever made with the most intricate motor that Porsche ever made, the, the veritable, you know, four cam motor. So yeah. uh, I thought, you know, that's a great way to stretch myself. If I were ever going to be a car, I'd already feel comfortable in the car, but would I be able to, to time all those gears that takes weeks and weeks to do uh, for yeah. an experienced mechanic? So uh, to me, that was, that's always a challenge. I, I always look for challenges in my business and in my personal life and with the cars and, uh, that 904 GTS just suits that that definition to a T. Yeah, they're beautiful cars. Oh, they've gotten expensive, too. I know that, uh, I think it's Sotheby's sold one a few years ago for, I don't know, it's $1.6 or something like that. Oh, they've become, they become very, very expensive, but beautiful cars for sure. Well, Carl, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Porsche 904 GTS throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, buy the best car you can find, but you must feel comfortable with the car that you own. Yeah, yeah. Best advice of the day for sure. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? You know, I say what's on my mind. I'm honest with everyone that I speak to. And I really feel like open and honest communications with people is the only way to be. And, you know, whether that's talking to car guys or, uh, you know, business people. You know, what I don't do, which I find a lot of people doing, is they see your car and they point it. Did you notice that scratch there? My, I'm always <laughs> on. This is a great car. It looks like you really drive it, you know, yeah. and there's a big difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Great. How about a resource? Is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, because I'm a Porsche guy and uh, principally a 356 uh, owner, uh, the Porsche registry is 
is the ultimate in being able, being involved with it with a mark that cares about its members. You know, locally here, this dry stocking group, we have about 60 members and I've known most of these guys for 30 or 40 years. And if I call my friend Tom and say, Tom, I've got a problem. I don't know how to solve it. He says, I'll be there in 15 minutes or somebody will call me and say, have you seen this part? And I'll say, you know, I've got it in my archives. You need it. You got it. You know, and to me, the resource of having these guys, I mean, some of these guys have had, most of these guys have had Porsches for at least 20 years. All of them work on their own cars. And, you know, it's great just to sit down with these guys and listen to, you know, the shortcuts they've found, the problems they've had, and the fun that we've had driving these cars all over the country. Because there are very few of our members who don't drive their cars. There there are no uh, garage queens here. We drive, I've driven my, my Cabriolet and my coupe as far as uh, Miami, Florida, as west as Arizona, north up into Michigan. Usually it's in a convoy of five to 10 of my friends, all of us being in, in the 356s. Yeah, yeah, great group. I've been a member of the 356 registry for decades. Great group of people. Now, if I can arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Oh, that's easy. That's Jackie Stewart. I don't know if you remember the the old um, wide world of sports that was on TV on ABC for many years. Oh, but yeah. I remember when I was a kid, uh, the first Formula One race I saw was uh, Jackie Stewart winning at Monaco. I loved him because he also was sort of a no bullshit guy. He said what was on his mind. He was very outspoken about safety in Formula One, but he was a gentleman. He was racing it during the era when there were still gentlemen racers. There wasn't a lot of advertising on the cars. There wasn't a lot of, you know, TV coverage. I'd read Road and Track every month to see the results of the races that weren't on the wide world of sports. But, you know, Jackie Stewart, and today he's still very much involved with the sport, pushing for better safety requirements, you know, providing a great deal of insight, you know, for the new drivers coming up. So he's just one of these class guys that I'd love to meet. Yeah, that'd be very good. Love to have him on this show, too. He's very hard to nail down, but I'm working on it. How about a book? Is there a book that you'd like to share with our listeners that you enjoyed reading? Oh, yeah. And and typically, here I go. It's called The ABCs and 912s of Porsche Engines, or Porsche Engines and the Future of the Human Race. It's written by the, the, the deceased uh, Harry Pello. Harry was an um, uncompromising, unabashed uh, proponent of 356s. But he always had different ways of doing things. And the book that I have, the ABCs and 912s, is about two inches thick. And it's one of only three volumes of his stories about breaking down in, in Tuscaloosa or finding a new way to take off um, a generator belt without turning the motor off or you name it, Harry could do it. So uh, great, great book and written in a fashion that even I can understand. Non-technical, <laughs> just right out there. He says it as it is, and it's a fun book to read. Yeah, he's a great guy. I've got a bunch of his books as well. Well, Carl, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. doesn't matter who owns it or where it is. I'm going to park it in your garage. But there are some rules to this game that make it very challenging. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. That little trick's off the table. Number two, I don't think you have a problem with this one. No garage queens. You've got to drive it. But here's the kicker. It's the only collector car you can have in your garage. That means the other cars you have have to go, and this is the only one that's parked there. So if you want to keep one of your cars, that's cool. I don't have to buy you a car today. But if I did buy you a car today, what would it be? Well, my, my friends who hear this will probably say I'm a, I'm a heretic, but 
I've always loved the Ferrari 246 GTS Dino. Mm. Just a beautiful, beautiful car. Uh, A friend of mine has owned one for many years. He never let me drive it, but I lust after that car because it's got some of the most beautiful lines in the world. It's, you know, it's a rear mid engine. Uh, It's just a colossal car. And of course, today they're unobtainium. Well, Carl has jumped the Porsche ship here. Oh, my gosh. This is a big, we're raising some eyebrows here today. But you know what, Carl? I understand. That car is a beautiful car. It's on my bucket list as well. Back when I was a kid, I had a car detailing business. And Sam Salemi was a guy who lived down in the south part of La Jolla, California, where I grew up. And I used to ride my bike over there, and he let me drive his Dino back to my house and detail it. And oh, oh, I always took the long way back to my house (laughs) and a long way home. They are wonderful cars, not really very fast cars, of course, 2.4 liter Dino engine, uh, transversely mounted, but oh my gosh, it's just the car ticks off all the boxes and uh, I'd be happy to park one of those in your garage. Uh, Just so I get you the right one, what color would you like your Dino to be? Because that car came in a multitude of factory colors. Yeah. You know, there was a, um, it's a silvery blue. Ah. Uh, I've seen one and it had a dark blue a leather Daytona interior, and nice. I don't know if it was uh, if it was uh, actually a factory color or not, but it just it hit all the right buttons for me. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. And would you like chairs and flares on that, Dino? Oh, you bet. You got to have chairs okay. and flares. All right, we'll make that happen. Oh my gosh, well, Carl, you've taken me on a great ride today. Really enjoyed your stories. Want to thank you for sharing your journey and the Cincinnati Concord d'Elegance. Did you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that 246 Dino? I certainly can. Um, Because I'm retired, uh, I I always think retirement can be fun and challenging if you pick the right things to focus on. And to me, focusing on something that brings my hobby, my friends, and even my wife together to celebrate something like, like the Concord, to me, that's the greatest thing. So it's really... You know, a lot of my friends who are thinking about retirement saying, I can't retire and I'll I'll have nothing to do. And I keep saying, you know, retiring and working for a cause and coupling that cause with your hobby is the best thing you can do. Ah, brilliantly said. And you're absolutely right. If you are going to retire, you need to pick something to focus on because I guarantee you sitting around is going to kill you faster than anything. So. Pick a cause. In this case, OhioConcord.com is the way you can find out about the Cincinnati Concord Elegance. I encourage you to check it out. If you're going to be in that area later this month in June, this is the event you've got to attend. Carl, oh, by the way, before I say goodbye, I want to do a shout out to past Cars Yeah guest Greg Stanley, who was kind enough to introduce me to Carl. He was interview number 1193. Check that out. Carl, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences and the Concord with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Keep the sunny side up. Absolutely. You're welcome. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. 
For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.